right, we're going to preach the word. I want to ask you to do three things before I preach the word, okay? And this is what it is. I want to ask you, first of all, I want to ask, I, I'm glad the kids did what they did, but I want a chance to thank all you mothers. Would you moms stand up real quick, please? All the moms, stand up. And we'll, let's just thank them and show our appreciation and love for them. Thank you, ladies. That's mostly me clapping for my mom and for Amy, but also for the rest of you a little bit, too. All right. I also want to invite you to join me in, uh, not going to say a prayer right now, but just in, in praying continually for John and Dixie Sigler. Uh, John Sigler is in the hospital right now, room 205, and Dixie's glad to have any of you that know them to come by and visit. Uh, he's, probably, he's, he's on morphine, so he's probably kind of, and with hospice, so he's near the end of his life, you know, uh, relatively. And uh, so, please be praying for John and Dixie. A lot of you don't know John and Dixie, but they've been members here for many decades. And so those of you that do, well, you can all pray for them, whether you know them or not. And then the third thing I just want to invite you to do, this is something I'm going to do this Wednesday night, is I'm going to go to a class that Rod is leading, and it's called Better Husbands. And uh, if, you're, if you're a husband, or, or even if you're not a husband, uh, if you're a man, I don't know if women, I don't know, but I, if you're a man... You can be single, you can still come. You don't have to be a bad husband to come to this class, okay? You don't have to be bad. You just have to have some room to grow, is all. And I know there are some of you who don't need to grow anymore, all right? You've, 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 you're totally there. You've arrived at being the perfect husband, right, Jim Lindenberger? Jim's shaking his head. Yep, he got it, okay. So, uh, but any of, any of you who would like to join us, it's at 5.30, come to the line and get a plate, and then uh, we started this last Wednesday, and we're going to do it for three more Wednesdays. It's not a long thing. It's only for three Wednesday nights. 5.30. And I'm going to go, and I'd like to invite you to be a part of that. Well, we are uh, going to be starting a new series this week that's going to last for, uh, it's going to last a while here, for a couple of months. And uh, I'll just tell you, tell you a quick little, little story to introduce what we're doing here, thinking about. I like the story that was about the the mom, who this is what she said, this was her, her words, uh, she was not thrilled about letting her, these are her words, clueless 13-year-old boy, son, uh, babysit his younger sisters. Even though he had begged her and said he was old enough, he was ready, he could do it, and they had had several conversations about it, and she went through several reasons and you know questions and things she didn't know if he was ready or not, and then she came to the one that was her number one concern, she was most concerned about, and she said, okay, but... But what about a fire? And he rolled his eyes. He said, Mom, I'm a Boy Scout. I know how to start a fire. <laughs> We're all getting ready, aren't we? We're getting ready for something. We're getting ready for the next part of life or the next thing we're going to face. And, and sometimes we're not ready yet. We're not ready, but we're getting ready. And God wants us to be ready and it's interesting that he chose a specific picture of getting ready. He could have chosen a lot of things about being ready. Could have put a picture in the Bible of dinner. Dinner's ready, and we're like dinner. We're getting ready. Well, because everybody knows that, you know, hey, dinner's ready. Or he could have been like, your poodle at the groomer is ready. I don't know if they had poodles back then, but I'm sure they, you know, comb their animals or goats or whatever. Uh, they could have been, your home loan is ready, right? I mean, they loan money, and so it could have been something about your home loan. Or, 
or your tax return is ready. They had tax collectors, and I assume they had some, some people that helped with that. It could have been your chariot wheel is ready. We've been working on it for three weeks, and now it's ready. And those are all experiences that most of us have had waiting for something, and now it's ready. But he didn't use those experiences. Instead, to help us think about getting ready, this is the picture that he gave us. Revelation chapter 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thanks for all the blessings of being a part of this church family. Thank you for those that are here today, God, that are visiting from out of town and those who who have come today just to see what Gateway is like and I pray that they are encouraged and that they feel uh, welcome and that they sense your presence, Lord. Thank you that we're a group of people that are, well, we're not, you're not done with us yet. We're not, we're not perfect. Quite honestly, Lord, most of us are still a mess. Thanks that you're getting us ready. And God, we, we just want to have open hearts. That's what I ask for today for myself. Give me an open heart, God, as we read the scriptures. I, I just, I always, my whole life, God, want to be a person who, when I read the Bible, that I allow my heart to be changed, that I'm willing to change when I read the Bible. Please, God, help that never to end in my life. And we pray today that you would by the power of your spirit and him teaching us, we pray today, God, that you would help us. Help us to be changed. Help us to be more ready today when we leave than when we arrive. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. 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 Well, let me ask you this question. It's probably kind of a silly question, but how many of you have ever been to a wedding? Raise your hand if you've been to a wedding. Okay. It's, it's just almost universal, right? It's almost a universal deal to go to a wedding. I, I've, it's a job hazard for me. All right, weddings are. It's a job hazard. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, I, I've, I, I haven't actually counted it up, but it wouldn't surprise me if I did count it up if I've been to over 100 weddings in my life. And some of you have too. You're going, no big deal, you know. But... I'm a guy, okay? That's a lot of weddings to go to. That's a lot. And, and I, this week, I performed three weddings this week. Now, the next time, if I have an, in my schedule, and you hear me say I'm going to be performing three weddings this week, just get a board and hit me in the head, okay? And when I wake up, I'll cancel one or two of them, because that's way too many weddings. That's just too many weddings in one week. But here's the deal. When we attend weddings... Almost all of them have some kind of glitch, right? You can even think of some right now. You probably could even laugh a little bit as you think of, oh, I remember that one, and oh, that guy, and oh, that, you know, the bridesmaid fainted on the front row, or whatever, you know, just all kind of stuff you can think of. The cake fell, and this didn't show up, and something tore, and I mean, there's, you know, technology problems nowadays, you know, whatever it is, there's some kind 
of problem or relational stress that happens. Uh, all kinds of problems that happen at weddings. But I will tell you this. This is a universal truth, at least in my life so far. Every wedding I've attended, the bride has made herself ready. And I want to tell you, I've seen a lot of different brides. Short, tall, skinny, fat, normal size, blue-eyed, brown-eyed, gray hair, no hair. Well, not no hair. I haven't seen that one yet, but... Uh, <laughs> Brunette, blonde, redhead, you know, all different shapes and sizes. And I want to tell you this. No matter what that woman looks like to society, and normally if they would say, oh, she's really beautiful, or oh, she's not quite so beautiful. I want to tell you that day, she was beautiful. And she was beautiful on the outside, but it wasn't just the outside. It was like something from the inside was coming out. This glow was coming out. Beautiful on the inside and the outside. She had made herself ready. And the theme of this new series that we're going to be doing for a couple of months is called, it's about the Bride of Christ, and it's called Good and Beautiful. Good and Beautiful. And some of you guys may not be that excited about that. I mean, you think, we're going to talk about brides for two months, you know? How can you do that? Well, hold on, because later this summer we're going to have a series about boxing, okay? So you guys can get ready for that. We're going to do a series about boxing. But here's the deal. For the next couple of months, we're going to talk about the bride. And I purposely have named this Good and Beautiful. Because I think that the church has fallen on some tough times in our culture. And, and also, quite honestly, among Christians. I know so many Christians, and so do you. And these are Christians that love the Lord. They let the Holy Spirit guide their life. They read the Bible. Some of them are much better Christians than I am, if you're trying to gauge who's a better and not a good, as good a Christian. And they say, I don't want to have anything to do with the church. I don't want to have anything to do with the church. Now, if you pressed them on it, they'd probably say, well, I know I'm a part of the church, but I don't want to have anything to do with organized religion, is what they're saying. And some of them have some fairly decent complaints and reasons why they don't want to do that. I can understand where they're coming from. But I hope that we can grow, all of us here, we can grow in seeing that the bride of Christ is good and she is beautiful. And maybe God will change us even to be more good. That's how he said it in Oklahoma. <laughs> better. Maybe he'll help us to even be better and even more beautiful. And maybe, maybe the people around us will begin to see some changes as well. Pretty much every Christian I know would say... Yeah, I know we're the bride of Christ. I know that. Jesus is the groom and we're the bride. And somehow that means we're supposed to be different than the other people around us in the world. But I've often found that those ideas about us being different are some really small ideas. They're really, maybe I might even call them, they're, they're light or they're shallow. They're, they're, they're not very weighty. They're not, they don't get really at the heart of what Jesus came for. These ways that we say we try to be different. These are some that I've seen and you've seen and we've heard and maybe some of us have participated in and maybe even some of us still feel this way today perhaps. I'm a Christian. I'm the bride of Christ. And so that means I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't date girls who do. You guys have heard that before? All right. It kind of boils it down to morality. There's just a few things I don't do. 
I'm a Christian. I'm the bride of Christ. And so this is where I grew up, at the church I grew up in. So there are certain holidays, even though all of our neighbors celebrate those holidays, we don't celebrate those holidays. Because we're different. We're unique. We're not like the rest of our neighbors of the world. We're the bride of Christ. Or I'm a Christian, and, and I'm the bride of Christ, and so I don't live my life like everybody else out there. And we've got a verse for that, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, tells us, come out from them, be separate. And so that's created some interesting, almost sort of strange things, some communes, people who've said, we're different, we're the bride of Christ. We don't live like the world does, we live together. Or maybe it's keeping rules about avoiding technology or wearing unique clothes and hairstyles that are not modern. Or just simply living in a Christian bubble, spending all my time with Christians only and nobody else. You guys remember that? Back in the 70s, I think a book came out, Keeping All the Salt in the Salt Shaker. You guys remember that? So it's like taking all the Christians, and you don't remember that, David? David doesn't remember that because he wasn't born yet. All right, thanks, David. So the, all the salt, Jesus said you're the salt of the earth, and you keep it all in the salt shaker, and you don't let it get out and, and flavor the world. You keep it all here together. We just stay with Christians all the time. We're in this little bubble. And I would never attend anything that my non-Christian friends invite me to because that's just, that's just not good. That's, that's, I don't know. You know that's, I want to be separate. I'm called out. And I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm the bride of Christ. Now, don't misunderstand me. Personal convictions about all these things I've said, I believe they're fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you have some of those personal convictions, I'm not making fun of you at all. But I am trying to make a point, and that is it is not good when we try to reduce Christianity down to a simple list of rules or just to morality. As if Jesus came to this earth to make all of us good little boys and girls, and that was his whole purpose. If that was his goal, he could have just changed into a sweater and put on some tennis shoes and sang a song to us, Won't You Be My Neighbor? He could have done that, and we could have become good little boys and girls. In fact, God used another man, not Mr. Rogers, but he used Moses to bring us the top ten do-nots. And part of the reason he brought us the Ten Commandments was for the very purpose of showing us it does not work. You can't keep them. You can't. And so Jesus, because of that, he left heaven and he lived with us on this earth and he died on a cross and he conquered death and he was resurrected so that we might be, not good little boys and girls, so we might be new creations. So that we might live full of hope and joy and passion and purpose and live lives that are abundant, robust adventures in the lives of our families and our neighbors in ways that are compelling to them, in ways that are good and beautiful. Maybe think about it this way for just a minute. Just as an example, imagine that I, I was thinking, you know, I, I'd like to join a service club, maybe a service organization in town. And so I look, I, I want to find out what they're all about, see what, what defines them as a group and find out if I'll fit in or not. And so maybe I ask somebody that I know is in a service group, and I say, you know, tell me about it. And they say, well, we're not allowed to do these things. Let me tell you, we can't do this, and we can't do this, and we can't do this. And I've noticed that you do some of these things, and if you want to come be a part of our organization, you can't do these things. Okay. Well, thanks. That's a good start, I guess. So I go to a meeting, 
and, and, I, and, I go, and, and we get to the meeting and we go over all the rules. And that's what we do at the meeting. And we talk about all the things we cannot do. And we all wear funny little hats, you know, with a little thing on it, right? And, and I sit there and I think, hmm, I, I, don't, I don't know. And I'm not saying that all service organizations are like that. I'm, I'm really exaggerating and kind of trying to make a point. And you can connect the dots with the church. Or, or maybe another example would be, I'm, I'm thinking about joining a softball team. I mean, I played baseball in high school, and I love the game. And I haven't played in a long time, and I miss it. And I'd love to get together with some other people who love the game, and I'd like to be a part of them. And, and so one of the players invites me, and he says, yeah, come on, show up for practice. And so I do. And I get there, and everyone has on the exact same kind of baseball pants, and they have on the exact same kind of jersey and they all are wearing the same cleats, and they have the same brand glove. And I'm, I show up in kind of like my old T-shirt and my sweats from, from college, and I got my old high school baseball glove, and I'm feeling a little out of place here. And the conversation is all about another team, another softball team, that looks so sloppy. And they, they don't even know all the rules. There's a rule on page 73, J10C-7, and they don't even know that rule. Can you believe that team? They're a horrible team. And then we sit around in a classroom and the coach draws up plays on the chalkboard and we talk about how important it is to avoid errors in every game situation. And then we do a big team cheer and everybody goes home and we don't even go out on the field and I don't get to step on the grass, I don't get to hold a baseball, I don't get to swing a bat, I don't get to run on the bases. It's kind of unspoken, but I'm not sure that I'm going to fit here. This wasn't really what I had in mind. And I'm not saying that all softball teams are like that, but I, I think you can connect the dots and, and, and you can apply this to maybe how people might feel sometimes when they come to church. Neither of those examples are very compelling. I'm not all that interested in joining those. They're all about the outward rules and outward appearances, and it sounds a little bit to me like a group that I read about in the New Testament. They were called the Pharisees. You remember them? See, some of those small ideas about what it means to be different, I think they need to be challenged. And we need to think there are some bigger, weightier, heavier, more important ideas about what it means to be different. So listen again to what our scripture reader read today, Frank. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of, his, out of darkness into his wonderful life, light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Now, you can see in that scripture I just read that morality is important. And I'm not trying to say morality is not important. Don't, if you heard that, you heard me wrong. It's listed as a part of what it means to be the chosen people. But it's only one part. There's an idea here of being an alien. Of being a person who looks on life with eyes that are so different from those who are settled in this kingdom here on earth. There's the idea of living good and beautiful lives, lives that attract people, not lives that condemn or make people feel like I'm better than you, but living lives that attract people to God 
and actually end up causing people to glorify God. Not to want to run away and leave, but living such good and beautiful lives that people want to glorify God because of what they see. The King James Version uses a word in verse 9 where it says a people belonging to God. The King James Version uses a word peculiar. A peculiar people. And I like that word. I like the word peculiar. Because my experience is that peculiar people, although they're different from me, their effect on me is not to repel me or make me want to get away from them. They actually kind of interest me. They cause me to stop and think and wonder about my own life. So what if those people at that service organization that I went to, to visit, what if instead of telling me all about the rules the moment I get there, what if they just intrigued me, if I saw something in their interactions that was authentic, if I sensed that they had some purpose in their relationship in their life that I'm missing, now I might want to be a part of that kind of group. And I don't want you to misunderstand this either. The church is not the same as a service club or a softball team. Don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to connect a few dots for us to think today. Because we don't just decide to join the church like it's one among many options of things that could give us meaning in our life. We don't just do that. What happens is the church is God's creation. And the Spirit draws us to Him. And Jesus is the door into the church. And God adds us to His church. But the people in the church have an effect, don't they? And there are stories about Christians that are more compelling than just following a bunch of rules that say, do not do that. There are people who are peculiar people. Some of them are in the Bible. This is an old picture of Stephen. You remember him from Acts chapter 7? The people got so angry, they threw rocks at him and killed him. And as they killed him, he prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. How peculiar that he would do that. How good and beautiful. This is a piece of art that shows Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 when they've been put in prison. And the reason they're put in prison is because They've been telling the good news about Jesus, and they get put in prison for that. I think I would be pretty upset, pretty angry, pretty disappointed, pretty pouty. You know, maybe just, man, come on, God, this isn't fair. And they're singing praises to God. How peculiar that they would do that. There's many stories in the Bible of people giving away their material goods. Of people helping others that could never help them in return. Of people spending their whole life, I mean giving all of their years and all of their energy to spread the good news about Jesus. How peculiar that people would do that. How good and beautiful. And it's not only in the Bible. The stories continue on to today. For many, many centuries, martyrs who were burned at the stake would sing songs of praise, would bless the people who were lighting the fires, would pray for the forgiveness of the crowd. How peculiar. In the 12th century, a man named Francis, who lived in a place called Assisi, which is an unfortunate name for a town, 
He was a very, very wealthy family. His dad and mom had tons of money. He was a privileged person. And because of his love for Christ, he put all that aside and literally walked out of his house naked with nothing from his parents. And that's why you see in this they're covering him up, you know, like put some clothes on, Francis. And then he went out, that, that, sounds, like, that sounds like something out of like a, a, I don't know, a Jim Carrey movie or something. Put some clothes on, Francis. I, that wasn't in my notes either. So <laughs> he walks out in the streets, he walks into the streets and he begins to pray for lepers. Sit down beside them, hug them, kiss them. How peculiar. How good and beautiful. A lady named Catherine who lived in a place called Genoa in the 15th century. Also her and her husband very wealthy. Living a life that was bringing them no satisfaction. Completely empty with a bunch of other people that were empty too. And they sold They sold their big, huge mansion, and they moved into a simple cottage that wasn't small, but a simple cottage that had rooms, extra rooms in it, and they spent the rest of their life caring for sick people in the name of Jesus Christ. How peculiar. In the 18th century, the the Quakers had a meeting, and they decided that slavery... And they're in advance, they're ahead of some of the rest of the people in America. This would would have been before uh, the, the country did this. The Quakers decided slavery is wrong. And so not only did they decide that and declare it, but all of them sold their slaves and paid them the money for the years that they had had them as slaves as back pay. And people told them, don't do this, you're stupid, you're going to go broke, you're, not, you're going to be destitute. But you know what? They did it anyways. And they weren't destitute. They were taken care of. They were provided for. How peculiar. A young woman who was a teacher named Agnes, a very good teacher, one of the best, left her place of honor at the school she was at and walked into the streets of Calcutta to care for the people that were dying in the streets. And most of you know her as Mother Teresa. How peculiar. This funny looking guy on the right, his name is Shane Claiborne. Some of you have read his books. He's a famous author and speaker and he's sold millions of books and spoken all over the world and has enough money to do anything he wants. And yet he lives a life that is similar to the lives of the ones we've talked about with the homeless people on the streets of Philadelphia. How peculiar. This man, Jorge Bergoglio, I don't know if I said his name right or not. He was a cardinal in the Catholic Church. And I didn't know this, but cardinals have special perks. They get a palace with servants and chefs that will cook for them. And he gave all that up in Buenos Aires where he served. And he lived in a one-room apartment, and he cooked his own food, and he rode the public transportation of buses in order to be close to the people he served. And just a few months ago, he was elected Pope of the Catholic Church. And as Pope, he has refused to live in the Papal Palace. I don't know where he's living, but he doesn't live there. He 
on, on a day, and I don't know what day it is either, but a day recently when the Pope traditionally washes all the cardinals' feet. The cardinals are the highest-ranking people in the Catholic Church. And so the Pope washes the feet of the cardinals on a day recently. Some of you read about this or saw it. He refused to wash the cardinals' feet, but instead he went to a juvenile detention center where he washed the feet of teen girls and boys and kissed their feet. How peculiar that he would live that way. This man, James Bryan Smith, who wrote this book that you see here, and it's one of the books that I'm going to be gathering up some of the things we'll be talking about in this series, and I encourage you to read it. We talked about maybe getting some of them, but they were, they're kind of expensive. They're about 20 bucks, so we decided not to order them. You can get them yourself on Amazon, okay? But uh, I encourage you, it's a good book, and I encourage you to read it if you're interested in this idea of becoming good and beautiful as the church and the bride of Christ. He tells in this book a story about his sister. The church that she attends decided to have a funeral for a homosexual. The picketers lined up outside of their church with signs. And you know what the signs said. You've seen these people before. They're people who call themselves Christians. And it's not my place to judge them. That's between them and God. But they lined up with signs to picket the funeral. They shouted horrible, mean, awful things to the family as they went inside. And James Bryan Smith's sister was there at the church that day. And she tells about... It was a rainy, cold day, and these people did something very peculiar for those picketers. They decided to respond to them. They made them hot coffee and hot cocoa, and they took it out to them, and they served them in the name of Jesus Christ. How peculiar that they would respond that way. How good and beautiful. And it's not just people out there, and it's not just big, huge stories of selling everything and walking somewhere naked. Okay, I'm not trying to get you guys to all do that today. Hope we don't have a bunch of, in the newspaper, you know, gateway people sell their homes and walk through town naked. You know, that'd be bad, all right? That's not, not the point, all right? It's not just only those people. It's also people right here that are sitting here today. Wyatt and Jerry Sparks. I couldn't find a picture of Jerry. And this is a horrible picture of you, Wyatt. It's the only one I could find. <laughs> Wyatt and Jerry had a great time in their life. When they raised their kids, and I mean, he's never told me exactly this, but I assume they're not, you know, they, they probably have a little extra cash because they don't have five kids, and, and, uh, and, you know, they could do a few things, and he enjoys outdoor things. He likes to hike and camp and cycle and, and uh, hunt, and he likes to be with his grandkids. He could spend all of his energy, all his time doing that, and, and who would blame him? Who would blame him for doing that? And yet you all know what I'm going to say, Wyatt Sparks. At least once a month, usually twice a month, gives his time, his energy, his resources, his car, and Jerry lets him. Her picture should be up here too. And he goes across the border to Juarez. And every time, we all know, I pray for him every time he goes because he risks his life every time he goes across the border. And he goes there to be a missionary. For Christ. How peculiar that Wyatt would live that kind of life. How good and beautiful. Alan and Kim McGee. Alan is a Alan is a very successful, retired businessman. And he's never told me uh, anything about his finances, but 
I'm making an assumption, and I asked him for permission to say this, and he said it was fine. I'm making an assumption that if he and Kim wanted to, they could, they could go to Alto each day, and they could hang out with other very successful retired business people who are out there at Alto, and they could just, they could, they could spend their days out there every day. That's what they could do. And, and who would blame them? There wouldn't be anything wrong with doing that. And yet Kim and Alan, at the very least, they do much more than this, but at the very least, they give one full day a week to work in Christian services over here to spend, not, not just to pick stuff up and move it around, but to spend their time and give their heart to people who've not even had a job in their life. To care about people who are completely different than them. How peculiar that they would choose to live that way. And they just represent a whole lot of the rest of you here too that live that way too. They're just one example. How peculiar, how good and beautiful. Larry and Vicky Cordova have raised their children and their kids are out of the house. And it's the same kind of time in their life when, when they could just have a little peace and quiet, you know? I, I mean, I love Raina. I'd give my life for her. And I love Josh, and I'd give my life for him. And some days, I just want a little peace and quiet. That's all. That's all I want. And they've got that right now. They just got peace and quiet around their house and, and just do whatever they want to do each day. There's not the responsibilities of going and being and taking and doing. And, and, and they both have their jobs, but then they've got, they come home, and they can have this quiet, nice place. And yet, Larry and Vicky just recently agreed to take in a single mother with her baby into their house. That lady's name is Adelia. Did I say her name right? Adelia. And her baby's name is Adriana. And they're here today. And the reason they're here is because Larry and Vicky said, you're welcome. You're welcome to stay. But our family goes to church. So Adelia and Adriana are coming to our church, and I hope you're reaching out to make them feel welcome. How peculiar, how good and beautiful that Larry and Vicky would live such lives. And why would all these people live these kinds of lives? Why? I'll tell you, it's because we serve a good and beautiful God, a peculiar God. He's not like the other gods of Greek mythology, the distant, manipulative, selfish, hard-to-appease gods. He's not like those gods, the little g-gods. He's a peculiar God. He serves. He sacrifices. He loves. He is good and beautiful. And so is his bride. A little boy, eyewitness, saw a little boy in New York City on a cold day in December several years ago. He's about 10 years old. He's standing in front of a shoe store. And in December in New York City, he's barefooted looking through a window, shivering cold. And a lady approached the young boy, and she said to him, my, you're concentrating awful hard looking through that window. And he said, oh, I was just asking Jesus to give me a pair of shoes. And a lot of people might have said, oh, how sweet, or oh, how sad, or, or oh, you know, isn't that neat how naive that little boy is, trusting. But she didn't do any of that. That woman just simply grabbed his hand and went into the store she asked the clerk to get half a dozen wool socks. And then she asked if he had a bucket of water and a towel, and he did. And she took the little boy back to the back part of the store, and he re she removed the gloves that she had to keep her hands warm, and she knelt down and she washed that little boy's feet. 
She dried him with a towel. Clerk came back with the socks and she put the socks on his feet. She wrapped up the other socks that, that were there and she put them in a bag. She bought him a pair of shoes and she gave him a hug. And she said, no doubt you'll be more comfortable now. And as she turned to go, the little boy grabbed a hold of her hand and with tears beginning to well up in his eyes, he said, are you Jesus' wife? And the correct answer is yes. Yes. And so are you. And what's the result of that? Does it really matter? Or is it just a nice sermon? Well, let's let the Bible answer the question. Here's the last scripture and then we're done. You're the good and beautiful bride and what difference does that make? Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. The Holy Spirit to, says to you today, especially if you've never accepted the gift of eternal life, he says, come. It's a free gift. And I want to tell you this, his bride, right here. We say come. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Let's stand. Let's sing.